When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. Good morning, friends. It's dublab.com. So glad that you could be here. We are gathering around this campfire of streaming binary code. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Got a very special guest, Jace Clayton in the place, a.k.a. DJ Rupture here. My name is Frosty and thrilled to, to all be together. How are you, Jace? Yeah, it's great. It's great to actually be in the physical location. You know, the digital campfire is what they get. But then here we are in this totally beautiful <laughs> A studio office workspace. Physical locations are important, and and you've just we'll, we'll just jump right into it because you have uh, just published this wonderful book called Uproot Travels in Twenty First Century Music and Digital Culture. And digital culture is this mm-hmm. thing that that can be uh, can be very. F- you know, it can be physical, but it's also many times people kind of disconnected around the world or, or viewing things through kind of, you know, strange uh, uh, loops and turns and, you know, weird detours. But physical space mm-hmm. is still so important. Yes. In your yeah. kind of travels, are there any moments where you felt or, or can you illustrate a moment where that kind of physical community was it, where that was so apparent that, you know, a form of music could only exist because people came together in a space. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, I mean, I spend, you know, one of the chapters in the book, I talk about time in Cairo and this really interesting new music kids are making there called Festival, Mahraganat. Hmm. And that's, you know, it started off um, a little bit before all the Arab Spring stuff happened. Um, but it's this instance of, like, you know, their kids are like tuning into YouTube and like looking at 50 cent videos and like, mm-hmm. and so they're like, Oh, looking at the images and be like, Oh, this is what rap is about. So they're hearing that. Um, but then they're tapped into, you know, this, like all this really interesting music from the seventies in Cairo called Shabi, mm-hmm. like Ahmed Adewaya, all these people. So very specific, almost like hyper local musicians. Um, and then they sit down at the laptop and they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Um, and then once they start making it, uh, it's almost, it's, keyed into that sort of hip-hop thing where it's like there's this one crew and they're beefing with another crew so they just make like diss tracks back and forth and the effect that has is that the music suddenly evolves really quickly because they're like there's someone whose mother i need to insult who lives an hour away from here yeah um so it's super specific but then there's also always like this one ear to this sort of international online sound that they're somehow also communicating with hmm filtering all that kind of uh, wider world noise into their local scene. Exactly. It's interesting also the idea of that you're mentioning this kind of like almost battle or, or kind of, you know, diss thing that is fueling, you know, that, that kind of fire. It's like mm-hmm. the, the, the competition 
is fueling the kind of creative evolution. I'm wondering if that's something that has always been there. You know, sound Mm -hmm. system culture in Jamaica, you know, it would be like, you know, Treasure Island versus, you know, like Trojan, different, you know, whatever different kind of sound systems that were vying for the heat for the records that were kind of pulling, pulling in these R&B records or these, you know, just amazing joints Mm -hmm. and that gave cred to your system and and kind of pushed it all forward but even further back you know has competition always kind of i think so right yeah competition fuels fuels musical performance it's like yeah this like the wanting to show off not knowing exactly what you can do to to make that and so you just create and you achieve and you experiment and who knows what happens yeah yeah well, hopefully uh, it, it continues whatever that evolution is, but, but also uh, friendly. <laughs> aesthetic competition. Yeah, aesthetic competition. <laughs> I'm going to make the ultimate wallpaper. <laughs> well, this book is so great. I've been, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm only halfway through it because I'm, I'm juggling with baby books right now because I have okay. a baby coming in a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's a good balance. So I'm, I'm, you know... Mm-hmm. St- having uh, one foot in all these spaces on earth that that are uh, making great music through you know your great narrative and then also learning about you know how feet grow and brains develop um how long has this kind of been in the works your your book it's four years yeah, and I'd say, I'd say like the first two years were like, awesome, I'm writing a book, I've got a book deal, this is so exciting, uh, I'll make a coffee and like, you know, and like go on tour, and then the last two years I was like, oh no, if I don't finish this thing, like I'm changing faster than the book is changing, like I need to like, you know, um, strap myself into this desk and just work, yeah. so uh, yeah. It feels very contemporary and of the now and not it's not dated subject matter you know Mm -hmm. and I feel like you're able to articulate this kind of unique space of you know of information flowing around the world and influencing Mm -hmm. and affecting the kind of you know musical currents that are that are happening but it does feel like okay this is a nice mirror to you know how it's such a rapid kind of moment of musical growth, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably much more rapid than it has ever been experienced on earth. And, and you know, it's true for many advancements that this kind of digital technology is allowed, but you've been able to kind of get that timeline and capture these stories that are reflective of that, which is really great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's true what you say then. That's in a way that's kind of what prompted the book. I was just kind of realized at some point, you know, I was like, wow, my, my DJ career has kind of gone hand in hand with all this shift into the digital. Like mm. when I started, um, it was, it was like vinyl records and that was kind of it. And there were maybe, you know, before you could even really do CDJs, you know, it was just like, okay, touring was, was weight, you know, through yeah. lugging stuff. Um, and then sort of like crossing into the two thousands and then very shortly stuff like Serato and USBs and laptops and all these things suddenly became so much more widespread and I was like wow you know in the past 15 years in which I've been doing this music has dematerialized in this crazy Mm. way and access has opened up Um, and so it was thinking that oh I've lived through all these changes like as a you know as a working musician Um, and so let's kind of try and reflect on that in a a contemporary way and like let's almost just try and kind of like document the now Mm. you know how how 
it, there's a moment in the book where you mentioned that when you've had laptops kind of crash or mm-hmm. be lost or whatever, that it's almost a liberation. What is your relationship in general to music and kind of assumed ownership of music, whether it's, you know, your record collection or, you know, or the mm-hmm. digital stuff? Like, is it important to you or, or how, how do you... Yeah. You mean ownership of, uh, like, I wrote this song, I own no, it? No, not, not, not intellectual property, okay. but the idea of actual, the physical or digital mm-hmm. kind of music. Mm-hmm. Like, your library that you've built, yep. you know, and you've built through travels or built through relationships or just built through scouring. Is that important to, to have that collection? Or are we in a world where all that stuff is there and so it's no longer as important to... Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I have a complicated relationship with this stuff because on the one hand, um, like I have a very kind of weird, you know, it's almost, I have a DJ's record collection. So I'm like, oh, it's almost like, what can I use or what sounds have I been chasing? But mm-hmm. if you look at my records, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's because the, in a sense, like the links are happening and how I'm thinking about how I can insert them into sets or whatever I want to. So there's that. Um, but then when I think about streaming services, um, I get very depressed because so yeah. much of what I listen to. Um, isn't available in those places, which they're very, you know, it's it's like Spotify, Mm -hmm. Apple, all these places. It's, you know, it's, you need the album, you need the single, you need to be in a very specific type of formal commercial music and infrastructure. And if you're not in that, it's just gone. And so that's happens with the bulk of my own DJ mixes. You know, I can't put them on YouTube because it's it's a million violations uh, and they can't, they don't really exist in those other sort of more over ground streaming sites so I was like wow I'm being erased by the yeah. digital record and like so that's a huge problem that is <laughs> and then on the other hand you know so much of whenever I travel I'm interested in you know I like this idea of finding a local music wherever I am so I have like dozens probably at this point like hundreds of like Moroccan CDs and cassettes and none of that you know it's just kind of un- there's all these um big gaps in the streaming record yeah so it is while my own kind of collection is a total like disheveled like weird sort of black hole um yeah it's also kind of important to have that space because it's so uh, because it doesn't exist anywhere else mm-hmm. it's true yeah the there's so much more in the world i mean you think about you know these ideas of you know people tout you know, the the entire volume of human knowledge can fit on the, you know, one microchip or what. I don't, I don't even know. But, but it's not all digitized. It's not all out there. But yeah. these things do exist in the world and they might be in, you know, uh, you know, souk in Morocco. And, you know, like it could be in some dusty kind of back bin. And those are the discoveries that are thrilling, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of keep people traveling. Um so we don't get too far ahead of folks. If you were to kind of give the little elevator pitch, if if somebody, if you met somebody and they had no kind of idea of the kind of context of this world or this book, what would you kind of say this this book is about? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I give them the time. Like the book is called Uproot, Travels in 21st Century Music mm-hmm. and Digital Culture. Or if you were on the <laughs> end of the like Today Show. Yes. Or... <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, in a way it's, uh, you know, it's narrative nonfiction, but I say I am talking about how, uh, how all these new developments in technology, you know, from inexpensive lap tops to network listening via YouTube, how those, I'm looking at those, how they're changing the way people make and share and understand music, um, Mm. 
all over the globe, but always from a kind of grassroots perspective, you know? So I'm interested in, I'm always interested in how music creates social meaning. So there's some talk of the industry, but it's less about that. It's more like there are all these very strange and fantastic new tools, like what are some of the joys and what are some of the problems um, out there in the world right now? Mm. Um, and so from my DJ perspective, as someone who's been traveling all over the place, um, you know, almost 40 countries in the last 15 years or something. And so, yeah, looking for flashpoints um, and then thinking about thinking about those these like I said, you know, this moment, this transitional moment where, we, where we're going from. Well, flashpoints, you know, by kind of definition or nature are instantaneous and they can't mm. explode. So it's interesting to, mm-hmm. to be able to freeze that frame for a second yep. and find out what's happening, why that moment occurred and what it's, its impact. And, and I've, I've enjoyed for sure in, in you know, my, my journey through this book, um, reading about it. You've got something queued up um, that is kind of pertaining to some of the subject matter and some of the stories, and maybe we'll we'll kind of get into the actual story later. Uh, but can you introduce the song and the artist? That, yeah, that let's let's play. Um, so this is the I mentioned Cairo earlier as like this example, like a very place matters so much. You know, yeah. guys in little you know sort of like garage studios making diss tracks in this very um and so this is uh one of the this is this originator of that style this guy named dj figo um with a guy named uh gandhi and uh yeah and so egyptian egyptian festival music from 2002 here we go wonderful dj rupture jace clayton right here special guests on dub lab celsius drop uproot travels in 21st century music music and digital culture Amir Haha and Gandhi. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So totally thrilling, um, wild sort of music uh, coming out of Cairo, um, out of these sort of like cement outskirts cities of Cairo. Do you, do you recall the first time you heard this? I do. I do. And so it's actually, this is, it's another radio magic moment. Um, I had a show on WFMU yeah. uh, at New Jersey for a while, five years. And a listener in Cairo was like, Hey, Rupture, like, I think there's this stuff going on. I think you really should check out. And so she sent me a bunch of links. Um, and I have the very first song, um, which was also same producer, DJ Figo, you know, kind of this originator figure who's the first person to put all those elements together. And then it just clicked with everyone's mind. And this is another diss track. So it's him dissing, uh, a fellow producer named Amir Haha. And yeah, and there's, a, of course, a ridiculous um, YouTube video. It's, you know, like Photoshop cut. In, it's like his his rival pasted in, like his face pasted into all these like totally silly situations. Wow. Um, really funny, interspliced with like belly dancing videos. But yeah, this is it. A lot uh, of effort put into this disc. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is serious. Um, but this was the song I heard and I was like, whoa things are like a new thing is happening there mm. um and so here we go Let's check it out <laughs> and there you go yeah that was the um the gateway the gateway drug as it were uh, so good <laughs> into the world of festival um and it ends with that sort of like uh like ambient the baby auto-tuned baby crying meme uh, you know that's a little cut at the end of that track 
I almost feel like, you know, his, uh, the subject of his diss, um, is, is not getting the airplay. So at some point we'll have to (laughs) play the flip side. Air both sides of the story. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be funny if it was just like really, really awful. It was like, actually DJ Figo, you're right. (laughs) This other guy sucks. (laughs) So you were saying that, um, this was influenced by kind of seventies and eighties sounds. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, this stuff, um, Shabi, which just means basically popular music, but this one kind of key figure, um, this guy, um, Ahmed Adewaya. So mm. like, you know, like working class, kind of like a Egyptian dude with an incredible voice. Um, mm. And then, this, you know, so almost like this moment of almost like a kind of like a, like workaday realism, you know, so suddenly he's talking about instead of this inflated classical language, he's talking about like life on the street, things that the sort of, you know, taxi drivers, waiters, everyone can relate to. Um, and it just took off like wildfire, you know, and in a way it was, um, and it was very refreshing the same way that like, you know, early rap was refreshing. These things were like, okay, a new type of language, you know, yeah. that's sort of recognizing the people. And so is that kind of, it sounds like that's remained important and it's remained, you know, kind of kept its cred. It's mm-hmm. interesting because in places frequently there will be kind of musical forms that arise and then they're really discarded and people just say that's, you know, it's old people's music or it's, you know, generation before. But in this case, it sounds like this has remained something important. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that people are listening to this all over the place, the music of the seventies mm. and eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually what's kind of great about it, you know, cause these guys, when I'm like early twenties, these young producers doing electronic stuff, um, but they'll still kind of, and they're listening to of course, all sorts of contemporary music, but they will go back and check these kind of key figures. Mm. Um, and actually one of the first, this, um, I guess like late nineties, New York city DJ named Muda Masik, like really, really great, um, drums, drum and bass and, dance hall reggae, but then also working in, like, she was the first person to tell me about Ahmed Adewaya. You know, she's like Egyptian-Italian, grew up in the States, but then these were the cassettes that her mother was listening to. Um, but then Julie was like, oh, those are great beats. And then so she started, like, sampling and cutting them mm, up. Wow. And so that actually this track, the Adewaya track I have queued up, um, you know, he's a lyrical inspiration to the young guys outside of Cairo, but then he's also, like, a rhythmic and a musical inspiration to a lot of other people. So... Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump in and let's get yeah. a taste of it. DJ Rupture here on Dub Here we go. And uh, now we're going to kind of bring it a little closer to home and and just want to mention that this evening, if you're in Los Angeles or within a teleportation distance, you can uh, come on by the last bookstore because um, there's going to be a special happening for Uproot, Jace Clayton's new book. And um, it's happening at last bookstore, 7 to 8.30 p.m. with... Dublab's good friend and board member Josh Kuhn, Ooh. lots of uh, guest DJs, and uh, including Kid 606, Vicente Pedraza, Shandao. Uh, Shandao. Um, so it's going to be a good, good time. Cruise on down there. There's more info if you go to lastbookstorela.com, lastbookstore.com. 
LA.com. We'll also send a, a tweet out about it too. So urge you to shuffle your bones on down there and be graced with music from around the world. Get a glimmer of uproot travels and 21st century music and digital culture. The new book from Jace Clayton, aka DJ Rupture. And speaking of that area downtown LA, um, you're going to share some cumbia music that's connected mm-hmm. to that to that yeah. zone. Yeah, absolutely. So my first time, like hanging out in downtown LA, actually shout out to Nguzu Nguzu. Um, so they knew I was interested in cumbia, and they're like, "Well, hey, like our friend Vincente runs this shop right in Broadway in downtown LA," and they're like, "You know, total freedom with DJ and like a live stream that Bar- Barbara Azul was the name of the shop." But so they were kind of. Um, they were the gateway. And so they, they took me down there uh, and then this amazing little shop. Um, and, and it was, com- you know, coming from New York City, I was like, it's first it's just like the like mind warping. You're like, oh, this is downtown LA. This is wild. Like I trying yeah. to process like this, the urban s- uh, cityscape. Um, <clears throat> but then spending time with Vincente and just hearing what he's doing as this kind of... Um, you know, he's working with all sorts of Mexican cumbia bands, cumbia bands in L.A., Sonideros, moving things around between countries. He also has a store somewhere in Mexico. Um, really fascinating. And, of course, he's got great taste, so he has all the tunes. Uh, and so about two years ago, I mean, it's kind of like the twin, due to the twin pressures of, like, music industry strangeness, um, even for, like, independent Mexican record stores, plus downtown L.A. Uh, real estate pressures. So he had to, he had to leave that spot. Um, mm. But I'd always wanted to sort of put work, do something with, with Vincente. It was such a great figure for me. Um, and so I asked uh, Shandao from the from Duddy Arts crew, I was like, hey, would you be interested in working with Vincente today to put out a compilation that kind of documents what he was doing? Um, and so I put them in touch with each other. You know, she's here and she's like, great. You know, she does, does a lot of work with Cumbia as well. Um, and so that's all kind of coming together. And so tonight at, for wow. the book party, it'll be like, okay, hey, can you guys play some of the tracks that are coming up for this compilation, which you've been sort of putting together for the last. Um, and the comp will be out later this year on, you know, digital and vinyl, which is pretty exciting. Um, so what was, can you paint a picture of what the store was like when you walked into that space? Yeah. What were your kind of recollections of it? Yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, it's like how it was split between, you know, like cell phone stuff, but like half music and half cell phone stuff, Yeah. you know, as, as many, many of these sort of less uh, music stores are. Um, but then, you know, he had a behind a glass counter. There's just all, all these great CDs, all these great CDs. And I actually, you know, not to play favorites, but I'd been to a lot of the other sort of like cumbia labels or Mexican music labels, distributors, both in LA and in New York City. And I instantly was like, oh, this guy has... Like his tastes look kind of line up with mine, you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of um, this band called Los Daddies, uh, and he just clearly been nurturing connections with a lot of the bands that had already been moved by. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is really thrilling, you know. He's sort of in the mix and a crucial point of the node of this. Um, but yeah, also be a very unassuming store. Um, and for me, it was funny. I'm like, here we are, like on Broadway. <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. Not that broad. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is such a, I don't know. It was just, um, it was really great. And and also something about the openness, you know, just like some weirdo from New York who just comes in and like yeah. asking him these sort of geeky questions and being sort of totally gracious about it. Um, so that, that made a, 
a wonderful impression as well. And was most of the music that he was selling there contemporary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So all contemporary, all um, compilations, and some of it will be from you know bands around a producer. Some of it will be like you know cumbia, cumbia con accordeon, volume seven. You know, like a lot of these sort of like repackaged comps, um, and all different types of like electronically produced Mexican cumbias, um, which have this huge big debt to sort of Colombian cumbias of great bass lines, the sort of melodic minor key, you know, accordion or synth patterns and all of this. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, let's, uh, let's hear a bit of it. What's this tune? So this is, um, this is Los Daddies, uh, and this is Cumbia del Alba. So a really beautiful, kind of almost wistful cumbia here. Um, shout out to Vincente Pedraza of Barbo Azul. Woo! <laughs> Los Ángeles, discos barbazul. So good. Grupo Huri Huri? Hui Hui. Hui Hui. Yeah, Katawai, sort of covering kind of like an Andean song, maybe, with their weird synthesizer settings. <laughs> and so is this also from the same shop or something that... that it is. Yeah, yeah. And so in the first song I played, you know, out of these last two, the Cumbia Los Daddies, you, the first thing he says, you know, he's like, he gives a shout out to Vincente Pedraza and Barba mm. Azul, says Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Um, and then this was just part of the Hu Hu is part of the Barba Azul universe, so... And so were you, you got these CDs mm-hmm. at the shop and then going home and and just kind of what were your thoughts as you were digging through these and listening to the tunes? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's this kind of this beautiful thing because the, the culture of cumbia, you know, it's all about versions. Um, a lot of groups sort of just doing their interpretations and, of course, all the shout-out stuff. But people like... Vincente Pedraza served this really important role, you know, as this kind of um, the person who's kind of spreading the word, you know, and just helping it exist. And so it actually made me think about almost like, what do you need for a good musical ecosystem, mm. right? Like you need someone who's sweating it out and like selling cell phones and SIM cards, but then also has yeah. a lot of his life invested in sort of keeping, helping the scene move around and being in touch with itself. And yeah. Um, when you walked into his shop, if you hadn't been introduced to that space and you just kind of walked into it, would you have immediately thought it was a record store or a cell phone shop? What would be, where would you kind of tilt? It's funny. Yeah. More of a cell phone shop, you know, like someone just kind of like, Oh, like sort of like cheap electronics store. Like, like so much, you know, you'll pass by these and all sorts of downtowns all over the world. You're like, Oh, it's just some sort of place. Like I don't, I don't need a strobe light. I don't need a yeah. phone. I'm not going to go in. Um, and so that was also, that's actually really key. Um, like, unless I had friends who took me there and they're like, no, this is the, this is the guy, this is the spot. Um, it would have been so easy to just overlook and walk by. Um, and so I feel like that was my first, like, kind of like LA lesson, do you, you know, mm-hmm. um, insofar as I think this city, at least for me, maybe even more than most has these, like there's, you go down the alley, you turn a corner, there's some incredible thing, you know, it's a very, it's like, I kind of think of it as very narrative in that way. You need to like, someone tells you where to go and then you go there and then it's what you see is not what you get. Yeah. Um, 
And that was so true with this guy, this incredible cache of CDs, you know, and I'm always digging for Cumbia. And then I get, you know, I walk away with 10 CDs and I'm like, these are all great. <laughs> like, yeah. I, need, I need to return. Need to go back. <laughs> well, it's good you've got these spots around the world. Unfortunately, some of them do disappear, mm-hmm. you know, for, for whatever reason. But, you know, it's so if you had been doing this research and these studies and this exploration simply from behind your laptop screen, this book wouldn't be possible. And and what you're creating musically and sharing with the world wouldn't be possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it absolutely essential to also be in a physical space and to, to move with a guide to these kind of, you know, back alley shops and... You know, I think I think it is. And and of course, it's like I realized that being able to travel as a DJ is like this huge honor and a privilege, you know, but then no matter what, I'm thinking of like growing up in Boston, like going out of my, you know, taking like three buses to go to the reggae shops, yep. uh, things like that. I'm like, and so the being in the world and all of a sudden it's like the energy in the room changes, the information you're getting. Suddenly it's like, you know, it's, it's full bandwidth information, weird little nuances, it, you know, and it's this kind of, it's always in your face that it's never just about the music. It's never just about the bits. You know, it's how do those bits exist in the world and the people in the moves of the dances of the, you know, of those who, who make this music and, and it goes on and on. And that's what's, I mean, of course I love, you know, I love listening to weirds. I love switching on the radio and not yeah. knowing what station I'm listening to, not knowing what I'm yeah. hearing. Like that's magic. Yeah. Um, but that magic would mean less if I didn't, if I didn't have the opportunity to then get some sort of thread of information and context and bring it, bring it home in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way it's like, for me, it's ultimately this kind of call to explore, explore where you live. You know, it's like you're walking by a place and there's interesting music coming up out of an open window. It's like, well, maybe you should ask what that is. You know, maybe, yeah. Can, can you kind of, let's let flash back a bit and rewind to maybe early epiphanies. What was, mm-hmm. you know, because we're kind of born into a world frequently that is pretty narrow-casted and, and you know, what, you know, so, so some people are, many people are like, here's what you should like, or here's what, here's how mm-hmm. we do things, or here's, you know, yeah. what, <laughs> what music sounds like. What was kind of an early, very important epiphany for you to kind of have that world broken open and to realize mm-hmm. that there was much more than meets the ear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I have to say like, shout out to to radio like boston area college radio, radio stations <laughs> so <laughs> critical you know because actually i want to diss radio i've got a yeah. going on <laughs> <You suck. laughs> oh yeah but for like this thing of um back then you know just like being able to switch it on and that was like kind of this lifeline and i remember one day even like kind of I guess it was like probably it was like a corporate station, but then this British band Stump had broken up that day, and so I was—I must have been in middle school. Um, and they were just like, "Yeah, shout out to this band Stump that like broke up. Like we're gonna play one song, and the song was Charlton Heston. So like a very strange, like super quirky. But this song was based around um, samples of frogs with all these weird rhymes, like fretless. But so all these like very odd production, you know, and that mm. thing of like, oh. This is in the, in the middle of a station that played mostly like sort of indie rock or whatever. Um, wow. I would, suddenly I was just like, what are those sounds? Those sounds are coming from what's ordinarily like a, we're a band, we play chords kind of music yeah. station. Um, and that, I remember however old I was, 13 or something, I was like, this is, this is crazy, you know, because this is possible. You know, and it wasn't sampling like 
at all like I'd heard before. And so these weird little epiphanies where it's maybe even less that like the specific object, but more like an object that says, oh, this thing is not like the others, but it's possible. It's mm. made its own rules. Yeah. And now our kind of pathways to these things are a lot more open. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when I mentioned before the kind of sitting behind the screen of a laptop and exploring, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing, too. We can definitely oh, yeah. travel far through mm-hmm. our screens and through the great efforts of people sharing music. Um, but the actual community aspect and the human aspect and the stories behind that music. And what I found interesting in your book, you're talking about, you know, you, there's a chapter where you're talking about Kanono number one, you're talking mm-hmm. um, uh, about Omar Suleiman and stuff. And fetishiz- fetishization <laughs> of music. and but, but also the maybe the lack of going deeper with it, the, the mm-hmm. tendency for people to want to package something for kind of photo value, aesthetic value, yes. but then to not tell the stories. And it's important for people to say, let's tell the stories behind. The music can be viscerally interesting mm-hmm. and impactful, but... But what are they saying? I mean, because if they if they mm-hmm. are saying it, it must mean something. It's it's brought them to say this on the air, and so yeah. it's important to go further with it. And you know, so shout out to all the the bloggers and mm-hmm. journalists and music freaks and geeks out there in the world who are kind of digging into you know what this stuff means. Yeah, yeah, and kind of those. I mean, obviously, I bring it up as an example, but I like looking through and realizing I'm like, they've never translated any of these lyrics, like however many albums crams out. I'm like, that is like, that's this weird form of disrespect ultimately. Um, And it's, it's wild because it's, it's, but it's great that it's out there. It's, it's Mm -hmm. available, but it should, it should go a step further. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people who do take it steps further and hopefully, Hopefully the actions of kind of the thoughtful mm, labels and, and people who are yeah. putting in, you know, the, the effort into these kind of liner notes or, mm-hmm. or web resources, you know, that that's not overlooked. It's a step that's, you know, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's funny. It's true. It's most of it's like uncompensated effort. It is. It's, it is like the blogger person who's out there really digging or yeah. the person at the label who says, oh, we could just package this and say, sell the story in the photo, or we could find, you know, or we could put in an extra week of work and then have, uh, so yeah, that's, it, it does turn into this sort of labor of love um, yeah. precisely because it's so easy to just consume music and so like joyful just to consume music. Um, yeah. But the stories are always make it more interesting. Totally. <laughs> to yeah. me, musicians are weirdos. Like talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, well, let's continue exploring the, the works of weirdos. Uh, again, we've got Jace Clayton, AKA DJ rupture right here. My special guest on Celsius drop today. Today, his new book, Uproot, Travels in 21st Century Music and Digital Culture is really great and has kind of, uh, it's been been wonderful reading material for me. He's in Los Angeles tonight, the Last Bookstore special event. And if you're in LA, you can uh, cruise on by lastbookstorela.com. You'll find out more info there. And yeah, exploring these mutant forms. I mean, this is West African music played by a Japanese ensemble you know, and awesome. these things are, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, m- music is fluid and music what's, influence. What's it, the ensemble? Mkwaju ensemble. Mkwaju. Yeah, wow. they're great. And prior to that was Francis Bebe yeah. from Cameroon, who 
He wrote a book just called African Music, and he, he wrote, wrote several book. books. Wow. Oh yeah, I, I he was deep, deep guy, and really dispelled a lot of kind of like pre misconceptions of African music, mm-hmm. and and really interesting. But so good work being done by by people who want to go further and and make sure that people understand, and that's what we're trying to do here. What's up next? So yeah, talking about you know the musicians are weirdos. This is a consummate weirdo, and by weirdo I just mean that this is I'm going to play Hassan Wargi is the name of this musician. So a Berber musician lives in Casablanca, Morocco, and I met him from doing going there and doing research from the book and finding his CD in a stand and then hearing it. And I was like, this is you know. This is really like idiosyncratic and gorgeous, mm. you know, banjoist, singer, um, producer. Um, but he's basically, he's, um, he knows he's a good musician uh, and he knows he's got this vision, but he's in a country in a context that doesn't really have a space for sort of independent musicians, like venues. It's not really, uh, there's sort of no infrastructural support. In- Does it have a real hyper local kind of, I mean, is it within the Berber communities? Is it, is it? important and accepted, you know, as, as far as like, are, are they playing weddings or playing functions or playing in the mm-hmm. town? Mm-hmm. Is it that there's a ceiling to it or? Yeah, that's that there's like functions, definitely, you know, weddings okay. and, and things like that for sure. But then what you play there, it's, it's very much like, it's almost like standards, you know, like yep. a wedding DJ here, yep. like you need to play Madonna and Beyonce. It's Got kind it. of like that. Um, just with sort of Berber songs. And then he's like, no, I believe in poetry, you know, yeah. and there's, there are always bands that, that, that can sort of exist outside this but it's really kind of this um like i was like where can you play in casablanca you live in a city of four million people and he's like nowhere you know it's like there's not like a coffee house scene it's kind of like Mm -hmm. weird bars or weddings and other sort of like very much formal gatherings um Mm. which you can do but that's not the his love that's a city i haven't been there um but it sounds like it's a pretty industrial hustle bustle place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas, you know, Fez or Marrakesh are these places that are a larger amount of tourists moving forward mm-hmm. or Tangier, but it, people are working. Yes. You know, yeah. so they're probably, they're working, they're doing their things. Um, is it a hard place for a musician to? It is a hard place. I mean, it's the center of the music industry. The music industry, um, yeah. But then, if you, uh, but that's that said, it's like the very much. Um, it's almost like there's only a commercial music industry, hmm. and so on. And the, in the edges, it becomes incredibly difficult um, because it's this sort of just struggle to kind of, yeah, to to, to get your voice heard in a way. Um, hmm. And you're you're uh, you're helping him get his voice heard. Yeah, actually, and so <laughs> yeah, here we go. And so he's he's been WhatsApping me songs, um, oh, but so no, cool. I, he has a group called Imanarin, I M A N R E N, and so actually, I, I just helped him like get that onto Bandcamp. I'm like, this is a great album. Like, this is what you need to do. Great. Bam. So that happens, and then he's been. Um, I'm going there to Casablanca to in, do some research, interview some more musicians soon. And he's like, hey. So he's been WhatsApping me. Mm. He's like kind of home home demos of these new songs. But so this is. Uh, I don't even know what this is. Um, this is from September 25th. Perfect. <laughs> hey, Hassan Wargis. Hot, hot off the press. Track number four from September 25th. World debut. Here we go. Keep it frosty. <laughs> Thank you. 
loving this music from uh, Maraca Hassan Wargui. Yes, yeah, Hassan Wargui. And the first Wargi. one was him under his own name, and the second one was uh, that's the one that's out there in, in the digital. It's called Imanarin, hmm. his uh, project, which is effectively him. Um, yeah, Imanarin. Yeah. But yeah, that second one was the one I heard in a store, and I was like, I got to contact this guy. This is really, um, really special. Um, and yeah. yeah, so it began. Yeah, so good. And so how long have you been acquainted with him? Wow, like five years now. Mm. Yeah, and actually that's a funny story because the C- I bought the CD, of course. I'm like, this is awesome. And then there's a, there's a phone number on the back. And so I was with a Moroccan friend and I was like, hey, can you call this and explain? And he called it and then the guy was like, what, what? And the guy was just like, what do you mean you like my muse? And he literally hung up on my buddy. <laughs> do you think it was like a prank It was. Or? It was somehow it was like Hassan's cousin or a friend of his. Oh. But then the whole idea, like he did. He basically, he thought it was a prank. <laughs> wow. And so it wasn't a musician. I'm like, that's weird. Like call again the next day. And so eventually we called and like Hassan picked up <laughs> wow. and then, and then, you know, a few weeks later we had coffee and then we sort Great. of became friends. <laughs> so how many times have you traveled now to Morocco? That's good. Uh, I guess I've probably been there for like two or three months overall. And, you know, as we were talking off mic before the, the, an incredibly useful aspect of like is budget flights from Europe, you know? And so mm. like, I remember going from like I was DJing in Milan then I was like, I've got a four day window. I can just take a, uh, you know, take the whatever yeah. cheap air express for 70 euros. All of a sudden I'm there. And once you're there, it's also, you know, it's pretty, it's, you can get by pretty easily. So, um, yeah. So I think it's 2011 and 12 were like the main times, but I'm trying to sort of, you know, I'm interested as, as part of this thing of like this commitment to place. It's, it's also not about going to endless new places. It's like, Oh, let's have, try and cultivate some like lasting relationships in this one specific place. Yeah. It's not all about collect them all kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, like get it all. And it's about friendships and, yep. you know, respecting that human connection and mm-hmm. building that. And then you start to get deeper. What's interesting sometimes is that, People, I find sometimes musicians put forward what they think you might like, yes. but you can be very interested in something they, they feel that you might have no interest in. Mm-hmm. So there's always these kind of side projects or experiments or things that, that are sometimes like really illuminating. Somebody, you know, who's a, a wild psychedelic rock musician there you know kind of loot music might be the most interesting thing so it's that that time spent can you know reap benefits absolutely absolutely it's funny because um funny that you mentioned that because a lot of my time there in morocco is like writing for the chapter in the book and that in there i'm like basically trying to get to the bottom of like how come autotune is so popular here mm-hmm. but then a lot of the musicians i talk to they're like don't talk to that musician. That musician's terrible. Like, <laughs> why are you interested in this? Like, you should listen. So I got this all. Like, you should listen to this instead, <laughs> again and again. <laughs> they're like, they're like this weird foreigner with bad taste in music. <laughs> that um, is funny. Oh man. And what about you know? Because there's a really interesting thing in your book. This idea of you know the the commercial industry tagging world music and kind of creating Mm -hmm. this idea of a genre. So there's this idea of world music. Um, but you know, the United States is part of the world and, (laughs) and you know, this, this stuff kind of exists everywhere and regional music forms are so, so interesting. What have you found kind of on the 
uh, homegrown level mm. recently that's been interesting you? Mm. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, what's like what's bumping in New York? Um, actually, this is. Uh, you know, it's it's in the air, which is Dominican Dembo. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to Julianne Escobedo Shepherd. Uh, we were talking about this two weeks ago. You know, I was like, "What are you listening to?" She's like, "Dembo." The past two years, and it was one of these moments where I often pay attention to it, but I'd been you know, like, my head had been in like bookland for a while. Yeah. And then so after having spoken with her, I'm like, "Oh yeah, let's check in." Like I'm doing, um, and it's this instance where. You know, so it's almost like it's almost like like a sped up reggaeton, just loosely. Um, but in the past five or six years, it actually keeps on developing, keeps on developing. So there's more space. There's sort of more, um, I would say, better production. But like, there's something there's integrating bass in more interesting ways. This it's less about rapping and more about melodic singing. And so mm. I was like, wow, this genre is opening up. And because of course this whole New York to um, Dominican Republic connection is really strong. It's very much like this kind of their artists up doing it in Washington Heights and uptown Manhattan. And there's Washington doing it in down and down in the DR. So that's kind of in the air in New York city. Um, that just gets more and more exciting mm. from month to month. It seems. That's so interesting. Well, people can uh, dive into it. It's all out there in the world. And, mm-hmm. and we're playing right now. This is uh, Carl Craig edit of the Congo's Congo man. And in your book, Uproot, you uh, you travel to Jamaica and you spend some time with the Congos mm-hmm. uh, for a sneak peek. Um, for those who haven't yet read the book, we'll, we'll get their, uh, them excited. <laughs> what was it like when you first met the Congos? And can you tell us about their kind of uh, complex? And Yeah, that was... Um... It's it's so it's for me going to after you know lifelong fan of Jamaican music, uh, and then to suddenly you're like oh here I am like in kind of in the heart of it all like this is actually kind of kind of wild and amazing. Um, and as I as I say in the book, I'm like all the things you hear about you know the birth of sound system culture and remix and it's all there. Um, but and actually the Congos in particular they're where um, like. Ashanti Roy lives it's it's literally it's a compound you know it's like the like murals of themselves covering the wall it's just full on sort of like Rasta mythology you come over to my house you'll see <laughs> yeah it's like, murals holograms <laughs> exactly yeah like I'm like this is the last supper except they're members of the Congos and there is um Malcolm X you know and there's a bong on the table and just like this is really intense yeah. <laughs> um because yeah for for all sorts of reasons um and it was there in christmas time of course it's tropical it's really hot and i have to say i was there because of um this great project that uh son Ra and him get his yeah, yeah they did working with the congos and shout so, out to revenge international Freakways. yeah yeah that's great um but but so but the thing the ultimate like beyond all this sort of like rastafarian mysticism and like here i am this amazing hyper creative uh musical hop of musical activity was the the just what i'm calling like the kind of like the ethos of listening there's so much advanced listening going on in jamaica and i think being outside the country being outside kingston you can be like yes of course reggae music amazing amazing but something there i was like i understand much more clearly now the relationships between like really keyed in audiences who know the history who know how to respond who are who are active and selecting and championing and thinking about it um and so one day at the congos it was just their neighbor 
you know, over like a little cement wall was playing a like a some sort of mixtape of hip like rap. But it was I'm like, this is early 2000s, mostly East Coast, mostly New York City rap. And I'm like, this rap that would be played on commercial radio or or more on kind of like underground mix shows. More like underground mix shows. That's hmm. that's the thing. It was like maybe the most commercial thing was like a Cassidy track. I'm a hustler. Like put it hmm. on Jay Z's label. But I was just like, and I was of course buying hip hop like mad at the time, so I knew all these songs. But I was just thinking to myself like. Like what is it? like? How can you get such a specific, <laughs> <laughs> um, very specific selection? Like clearly human selected. You know, no algorithm Jace, can come up with that. This is your life. <laughs> yes, and it's just over the wall. And here we are, sort of on the outskirts of Kingston. Um, and and but then later on, going to street dances, um, and seeing people's reactions to playing American oldies, say from the seventies, mm. um, and even just sort of driving around and tuning into the radio. Uh, at the end of the day, I was like, this is this is a culture of very interesting, very public listening, um, but incredibly thoughtful listening. Uh, and so I was trying to kind of think through that throughout the writing of the chapter. Thoughtful listening is a good, good thing. And um, you're here in Los Angeles tonight. You're going to be doing this uh, this in-store happening at the last bookstore. But then also tomorrow night, you're playing the Perpetual Dawn Party put on by Kid 606 with Sana Ra, with Imgadish Jingris, SK Kakraba, Lots of good folks. So uh, people can uh, Google that Perpetual Dawn DJ Rupture and come come be part of a thoughtful listening experience. Yeah, all nighter in downtown LA. So you've got? Do you have uh, a Congo's piece lined up for us, or what do you yeah, have? Yeah, I think this is actually in a, yes. So Fisherman, classic track produced by Lee Perry. But another funny moment in the compound was like the um, Roy. You know, the Condi is the sort of. Um, one of the Congo vocalists has it on his ringtone. So I'm like, oh, that's Fisherman, but it seems very tinny. And then he just whips out his phone and goes, Fireburn. Amazing. <laughs> like, wow. I was like, this man answers his phone by saying Fireburn. After the Fisherman, like, squeezed into a ringtone. I'm like, this, so this is what it's all about. Wow. Um, and another thing, actually, as we listening to the lyrics, you know, um, they talk about, like, a seaport town and all of this. I'm like, oh, yeah, they really did come from, like, a small, small, like, very humble fishing mm. town, you know, like, these fishing shanties. Like, we we're sort of spending some time along there. And so there's something very um, sort of sublime music from very kind of hard scrabble, like, very real situations. Yeah. Wow. So great. So, yeah. Well, let's hear here Congo's Fisherman, DJ Rupture, oh, right man. here on com. How long have the Congos been active? Wow. Yeah. I, th- I, I want to say late 60s. Hmm. And they just kind of kept on going. Wow. Yeah. What's so interesting is that, you know, with, with Jamaican music, pop, Jamaican popular music, you know, even Minto and Ska, mm-hmm. Dub, Reggae, Dancehall stuff, you know, we're fortunate to have the originators, m- many of them still here yeah, with true. us. Many of them have passed, but, you know, to have this kind of living historical record and document to be able to connect with them. Were you going to Jamaica to kind of get this oral history and to kind of get it straight from the source in a way? Yeah, oh, much more crude than that. Like I was being paid money by the Fader (laughs) magazine. (laughs) (laughs) But I think actually it's it's funny, like the conversation with the editor at the time, he's like, you, you know, he's like, oh, we actually discussed because there's something about you're like with with like dealing with these sort of like iconic figures, yeah. you know. And he's like he's like you're probably kind of. I think he realized my um, 
I don't want to say I'm not obviously I'm respectable, but I'm not like, oh man, like the God, like I'm not putting musicians up on this weird pedestal, which can yep. actually make things harder to hard to write about in a way which is useful to anyone. Yeah. Um, so he was just like, yeah, would you be up to sort of go there and see what's going on? Um, yeah, and it was certainly took that as an opportunity, precisely because there is so much, like you know, so much like self-made mysticism on their part, but like you yeah. know, the, the aura, the clouds of smoke. Um, but at the end of the day, you're like, well, let's talk about how these musicians are getting together to make this um, like strangely beautiful music. Like mm. that really, that, uh, the collaboration was actually really great and kind of wild, um, and seeing how it all came together. So yeah, is there something that is kind of universal? amongst these musicians that you've met in your travels for for your book uproot or or your travels djing that kind of ties it all together hmm. yeah i mean it's i'd like to say like at a very basic level you know it's like if musicians are singing they generally like you to know what they're singing about yeah. um but i think that one of the things that's so that is you know approaching the sort of universal thing is that music is so um it's so open, you know, it's, it's something that evolves in conversation, you know, it's mm. like one person picks up a drum, the other person picks up an instrument and then they can start playing. And so I feel quite fortunate, you know, I'm not chasing after the sort of um, pop stars. And so I'm always drawn to people who are really kind of engaged in that form. And it's so, it's so open to this sort of collaboration and outward, outward facing, um, so yeah, I feel like musicians have a kind of a wide cultural interface, yeah. <laughs> wider than most. That's how I think about it. When given the opportunity to do something outside of the norm, you know, it seems that most kind of creative musicians, people who are outside mm -hmm. of that kind of pop sphere mm -hmm. do embrace that opportunity. And you've had the opportunity to do that and, and do tra lots of traveling through music, but um, going to, you know, kind of... Morocco or other spaces and, and kind of bringing together different types of music into one space and kind of creating new hybrids or yeah. new things. Actually, oh, that's something we could, we could play. <laughs> Ooh, the last, last minute. Um, yeah. So, uh, what is it? Um, early September, a month ago, uh, I actually did this gigantic, um, perform like 20 musician performance wow. um, in this museum in Philadelphia called the Barnes Foundation. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. And it was precisely that. And at a level which it's, you know, I've been so busy since then that I haven't had time to process it and like remember what I did. But I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened. Um, and so this was this instance. In a way, it's from the people who know me from the DJ work and whatever. They said, hey, would you like to do something that responds to this very eclectic, very idiosyncratic collection of artwork that this guy Albert Barnes put together? Um, which will bring together like European sort of painting, you know, Impressionist and Picasso, but then like, you, you know, African statues and then Amish woodwork. And this, this whole, this kind of, um, it's like one dude's very, um, very, you know, he's doing this in the 20s and 1930s. Um, one dude's very interesting ideas and arrangements and yeah. curating um, and sort of like, oh, reflect on that somehow musically. Sure. And so I brought in, um, I worked with this an amazing um, self-directed string ensemble in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. 15 members called the Prometheus Chamber Orchestra. I brought up a fantastic musician from D.C., Ethiopian, named Gazachu Habdamerium, a voice and masinko, one-string fiddle. Um, I was able to bring over um, the lead singer and guitarist from this band, The X, and Dutch band, The X. Really interesting, um, sort of post-punk, broadly speaking. Uh, We've done a lot of collaborations with uh, musicians based in Africa, including exactly. Kanona Number 1. and um, Yeah. 
Yeah, them and some uh, Emily Manzo and Benjamin Lee from New York. So all these all these different elements came together, and I was kind of. Um, in a way, I was like the DJing in the broadest sense, you know, sort of like combining, mm-hmm. doing arrangements. Um, and it was happened in this very big uh, atrium space. Um, so 700 people, like a really, really big room um, with gigantic ceilings. And so, and right next to the collection. So it was, they were like, you can't have any subwoofers. You know, the speakers must face, they can only face this way. They can't even face the walls where mm. the, the prints are being stored. And so all these really interesting uh, sort of sonic um conditions that I was like, okay, let's try and let's work with these conditions, you know? And so the piece was like no beats whatsoever, primarily unamplified. But then I would have things like asking the string orchestra, I'm like, would you guys mind like chanting, you know, like singing the chorus in this yeah. song and even some... No, loose- man, we're self-directed. <laughs> yeah. Even that, you're like, oh, who do we talk to? It's a self-directed... Um, uh, but yeah, great. You know, it turns out that, you know, self-directed means just like actually really amazing to watch the yeah. sort of like their decision-making process and like how they'll... Like, go through a piece and just kind of converse with each other. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. And again, this that sort of this spirit of collaboration. So they were like super. I mean, a lot of I have to say, like a lot of classical musicians can be very precious. Like, give me the score, I interpret the score. Whereas yeah. this was, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, a lot of it was scored, but it was much more open. Um, and and they were correspondingly open, and so that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a listen. Yeah, I'm trying to now. I just need to locate it. My um my digital housekeeping is is very <laughs> messy, very messy. Um, so. That's, uh, I'm I'm in a similar world, <laughs> but um, but it's great. So let me see. Oh, I know it's stage. It's just like what is. Watch out the watch out for your metadata. That's yeah. that's basically the the the. Okay, found it. Stage. So, man, what should I be? Okay, I will play. We have a. I can play a bit of the beginning, Sounds and good. and in the beginning, so I'll, to set the stage, uh, this big hall on one end. There's um, I began with Prometheus, the 15 member. They're playing Ravel, which this collector loved, mm. like a piece in his collection. And then about halfway through their Prometheus's arrangement of this Ravel um, string quartet, um, I asked Arnold um, from Zaya from the X, say, "Hey, I know you do this amazing cover of a Lead Belly song, Bourgeois Blues." kind of with this African guitar line. I'm like, can you start playing this at the other end? And then, you know, and the audience will sort of be in the middle and then they can choose to focus on whatever they want to focus on. So let me, I can play this sort of weird crossfade yeah. opening, concert opening scenario. Um, I'm going to skip around so you get to hear me skipping around, but. Let's check it out. Special guest, Jace Clayton here on Dublin. That was again the Barnes collection in Philadelphia. Yep, correct. And um, and then are they building? Are they building an archive of some of these projects that they're doing currently? Is this stuff somehow existing within their collection? Oh, or? with this particular performance piece, um, actually, it's uh, working with curator Lee Tussman. Um, shout out to DJ. 
it's like 12 Celia's D. 333. Yeah, $3.33. Yeah, yeah. Celia Hollander. Um, But yeah, so with this Room 21, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, it's a piece very much explicitly in dialogue with the collection. Um, And then back, you know, when he was alive, Barnes, you needed to write him a letter to ask to, to, like, tell him, explaining to him why you wanted to see this amazing collection of art he had. Mm. And he was... um, he was like a sort of like a rascally, wily guy. So he like rejected T.S. Eliot famously. So he'd be like, ah, you like mainstream intellectual? No. He's like, I want like school kids and I want Very workers. Cool. So like this really. Um, and so with this, I'm like, oh, we're making a digital archive. You know, like we filmed it. There's, you know, this is an open mic recording is what we just heard. But it, the sound quality is, is uh, nicely representative um, images. So we're going to have a digital archive, but the same process will be enacted. You'll need to write me an email um, and you'll be either accepted <laughs> wow. or rejected to then sort of experience the, the archival version of Room 21. <laughs> wow. If you're if you're somehow related to T.S. Eliot, just don't bother. <laughs> There's already a filter set up for that, a spam filter. That's great, great. And and again, the total number of musicians or participants in that. Yeah, it was 20, 21, um, wow. you know, from a voice actor who was reading the mm-hmm. entire contents, the catalog of contents, uh, um, to, yeah, to all these people. It was epic. I was joking with my friend Elado Negro, I'm a great musician who's done a lot of like last year, the year before he did a big same thing. And we're just like, it's it's like more musicians, more problems. It's like a joke, you know, it's like (laughs) super exciting. But you're like, wow, that's a lot of, a lot of things to think about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Roberto, Roberto Carlos Lange. Good, good cat. Um, and shout out to Jace Clayton, who's sitting right here. I'm giving you a direct <laughs> shout out. Um, and your your book, Uproot Travels in 21st Century Musical, boom, 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 and digital culture, Woo-hoo. is so good. And tonight at the last bookstore, if you uh, if we stoked your your appetite for for more, um, in conversation with Josh Kuhn, Jace will be down there speaking with Josh Kuhn plus a bunch of uh, DJ sets, uh, Shandao, uh, Vicente Petraza from Barba Azul. Uh, Kid 606 and more urge you to cruise on down there. And the last bookstore is amazing. such a great space. Totally so amazing. Cruise on down there and be sure to cruise upstairs as well because it's really a magical place. And uh, yeah, hope you all check that out. Check out the book, which is out now. And um, Uprootbook.com. Yay! Uprootbook.com. And there's a listening guide there too, so... Yes, it, it's such a, a fun read, and, and the narrative nonfiction um, style and vibe is—it's really just—it's fun. It's a good story, and uh, really, Jace brings you through some really vivid lands. So um, check it out. Get your dog ear your copy now. You'll be uh, <laughs> flipping through it with uh, vigor. In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.